Welcome to the IC Made On podcast. We are so glad that you've chosen to listen online. If you would like to know more about who we are, why we exist, our service times and location, or how you can get involved, then check out our website at icmadeon.com. We hope you enjoy the message today. All right. Happy Father's Day. Do we have any dads in the house? Can I ask all of the fathers to stand up so we can honor you? All the dads, come on, stand up. We just want to honor you for a moment. All the fathers. I wanted to get you guys the manslater because I think we need that. Uh, but I couldn't find it in Maidan, so we made you something that we think is really cool. So our team will pass out a gift. Stay standing, and we'll get a gift to you. Right. Happy Father's Day. I, I thought this hat would be cool. You may be shocked that it doesn't say World's Greatest Dad. Uh, World's Greatest Dad's stuff is really cool, but normally it sits on a shelf or something. You, I have some World's Greatest Dad stuff, but I don't wear it because I already know that, and it's good enough that I know it. I don't need everyone else to know. Uh, you know what I mean? Anyway, we, we thought we would put something on there that is cool enough that I was hoping all the dads would wear this. Would you wear this hat? You're legends, right? Zion, make sure you get one for your father, man, okay? Make sure, don't forget that. It's for Father's Day. Um, part of the meaning behind this is I believe that every father in here is called by God to be a legend as a father, to be a legend as a husband, to be a legend as a man of God. And I don't mean legenda, like a myth, you know? I mean a legend as in someone who is worthy of honor, someone who is worthy of respect, someone who is worthy to be looked up to, an example, a role model for your children. So I, that's my prayer for you today. I believe that every dad in here has the potential to be the world's greatest dad. Do you believe that? Every single one of you. We have a great example in our Father in Heaven, and I believe that we should be a legend among fathers that we should be a, a legend among husbands. We should be a legend among men of God. And I believe that that's, that's for you today. This is the challenge for us. So can we just close our eyes and pray for all the fathers for a moment? Father God, I pray for every dad in this room. Lord, I know that, that it is a, a big responsibility. Lord, at times we may feel like the weight of the entire world is on our shoulders. Lord, and I know at those times you want us to find our strength in you. You are the good father. You are our example. You are our strength. You are the one we can run to when we feel like we're overwhelmed and we can't handle everything that there is for us to carry. But Lord, I know that, that for every father here, Lord, you have, you have called them. Lord, this is a, a great responsibility and a great honor. So we honor each and every one of them today. Lord, I pray that they would find this challenge, something that that they could live up to, Lord, that their children would, would see them as an example of how to live a godly life. 
Lord, that they would be leaders and lovers of their wives, Lord, that they would be, that they would be uh, followers of Jesus, Lord, that they would be legends in the workplace and legends out in the marketplace, wherever they find themselves, Lord, that they would live up to excellence in every area of their life, putting you first, you as the foundation of everything. Lord, we love you. We pray that you would help us as fathers to keep our priorities in order and to look at you as our example. Lord, bless all of the dads in this room today. Bless all of the men that we would be godly men because godly men will change this city and godly men will change a generation. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. All right, can we give the dads one more hand? Sometimes fathers are not recognized enough. As a matter of fact, even yesterday I heard something. Someone said, if you forget about Father's Day, don't worry about it because your dad probably forgot to. You know, so uh, anyway. But I've got a second bonus gift for you guys. And I want to start it off with this story. There is a proud new dad. He's still at the hospital. His first baby is born. And his father comes to visit him. So this new dad sits down with his own father while still at the hospital, and his father says to him, son, now that you have a child of your own, I think it's time that you had this. And the father hands this book to his son, and the title is 1001 Dad Jokes. The son receives the book from his father with tears in his eyes. He says, father, I'm, I'm honored. Father, I'm honored by this. And his dad says, hi, honored, I'm dad. That's a dad joke. You get it? Hi, honored. I'm honored. Hi, honored, I'm dad. I say that to my kids when they come in the kitchen. Dad, I'm hungry. Hi, hungry, I'm dad. So this is a little introduction. We shared some dad jokes last week. Father's Day is a free reign of dad jokes. Dad jokes often don't get a lot of laughs, but dads don't stop anyway, you know? So let me just share a few with you. How about this one? I bought some Velcro yesterday. It was a total ripoff. You get it, Velcro? Ripoff. Okay. I'm going to keep going. This is for science people. I'm reading a book about gravity. I can't put it down. Now that's good. Come on. Gravity. I can't put it down. Do you guys want to hear a joke about construction? I'm still working on it. See, this is what a dad joke is. Five-fourths of people admit they are bad with fractions. Any math people know that's five-fourths of people. That's impossible. Let me put this shape on here. This is, a, this is a dad joke. The circle is the most ridiculous shape in the world. There's no point to it. You get it? There's, uh, it's pointless. The circle is pointless. All right, this is for, oh, this is good. How many of you like French fries? How many of you like kentangoreng? Do you know the first French fries were not cooked in France? They were cooked in Greece. Minyak, yeah, right? Kentangoreng. This is good stuff. Come on, guys. For Trekkies, if you're a Star Trek fan, you will like this. How many ears does Captain Kirk have? Three. The left ear, the right ear, the final frontier. It's like a final front. All right. Oh, here's a true story. I offered an invisible man a job at the church this week. He told me no. He said, I just can't see myself doing that. Invisible man, I can't see myself. 
Okay, this is the last one. You can save this one and tell this to someone this week, and you can tell them you learned this from a dad because this is a, this is a classic dad joke. What do you call someone with nobody and no nose? Nobody knows. That's good stuff. Come on, guys. That is good. Dads teach us so much stuff. I mean, we learn about dad jokes. These are the kind of jokes I tell at home to my kids. I learn them from my dad. You know, it's, it's just these jokes that don't get a lot of laughs, but dads tell them anyway. We love that. Every time the kids come in, I love to say, they're like, Dad, I'm hungry. Hi, hungry. I'm dad. I do that every time. They don't laugh. They're used to it. But I love those jokes. We learn a lot of things from dads. Dads teach us some funny things. They teach us so much of what is right, the right way to live. Hopefully, you have a dad like that. Sometimes we learn wrong things from our dads. I think a lot of us had a mix. Maybe we learned some right things. Maybe we learned some wrong things, the right way of doing things, the wrong way. I think we usually, even if that's our experience, we learn more good from our dads. And I think this hat legend is a challenge to us to teach the good things, to teach the right things. I was thinking about my stepdad this week, my stepfather. I learned a lot of good things from him, and I learned a few bad things from him. I remember uh, when me and my brother were young, we would go watch movies with my stepdad. That was our thing. Man, anything with Sylvester Stallone, we watched it. The Rocky movies, the Rambo movies. We liked the action movies. Then when my little sister was born, we were there watching Lion King and Little Mermaid. Everything changed. Anyone have a little sister? It changes everything. Uh, but when my kids were young, Savannah and Isaiah, my stepdad would take them to the movie when we were in the U.S. And he would take them to his special double features. That, that's when you watch two movies in a row. Usually in the U.S., there's not as much, not really security, but there's not so much checking of tickets as there is here. You know, if you go to the movie theater here, you get your ticket. When you get to the door, there's someone there to check your ticket. In the U.S., it's not so much like that. You buy your tickets, you go in, and then you're in there, and there's all these rooms with movies, and there's no one standing at the doors. So my stepdad would take my children, his grandchildren, to the movie, and he'd say, Savannah, Isaiah, we're going to watch a double feature as long as you're okay with having popcorn for lunch. And his plan was he would buy one ticket for everyone, they would watch a movie, get some popcorn, and then sneak into another movie for free. Kind of stealing a movie, if that's possible. You know what I mean? That's my stepdad teaching my kids that. You know, I, Isaiah came home one day, and he was a little bit upset. He said, I told Pop I wanted McDonald's for lunch, and he said I could only have popcorn because if we left the theater and went to McDonald's, we couldn't watch the second movie. You know, so, and then I knew what was going on, you know? It wasn't necessarily the right way. I mean, I guess I can pretty that up. I'm prettying it up in case my stepdad's listening to the podcast. But the fact is, that is the wrong way, of course, right? We don't steal things. We don't go in the movie and sneak in other theaters. But I learned a lot of right things from my stepdad. Work ethic. My stepdad worked very, very hard. He, he liked to get things done right. If I told you how many times as a teenager... I went out to cut the grass, and my stepdad would get home from work and see I missed the spot. He would say, go out and cut the whole yard again. Man, that is very frustrating as a teenager. But what I learned from that was, don't just try to get it done. Try to get it done right. You know, it was a good lesson. Today, I, I like to do things 
with excellence. I try to do things to the best of my ability the first time. You know, it's not just about getting it done. It's about getting it done right. I learned that from my dad. I also learned from my stepdad about spending time with kids. I mean, my stepdad, when, when my mom married him, uh, I was about 12 years old, and I had a younger brother. We wanted to join karate. My stepdad joined karate with us. He would come home from a hard day at work. We would all put on our white karate uniforms, and we would go to karate practice. I'm sure he'd rather come home and just sit and relax and watch TV, but he saw that it was more valuable to spend time with his kids. Same thing with Boy Scouts. Me and my brother wanted to join Boy Scouts. My stepdad joined with us. We all had our uniforms. After a, a hard day of work, he would go out camping with us on the weekends. These were things I learned. These were right things that I learned. So I think for all of us, from our dads, we learned some right things. We learned some wrong things. And as we get older, we learn to hang on to the right things and let go of the wrong things. And we're motivated to make sure that we are teaching the right things. As we look at 2 Peter today, Peter, like a good father, is teaching his spiritual children. He's teaching. He's warning those that in his time and those in our time today, the importance of having right teaching. He's talking about being taught the right things and teaching the right things to others. Why? Because there's false teachers and false prophets. Peter's saying they, there's false teachers and false prophets now, and there will be in the future. He's talking to the people then, and he's talking to us as well. It's important to teach right things. It's important to, to be taught right things because there are people who teach false things. As we look at this, just a little intro. This is the seventh week of our different series. We, we're studying first and second Peter. This week we're in second Peter chapter two. And the, the, the tagline for second Peter is be alert. Peter is telling the church, he's writing this because of his love for the church, his love for God's people, and he's saying, be alert. There's people that will try to lead you astray. There's people that will try to take you captive with false teachings. Peter writes his second letter for three reasons. For one, because his time is short. He knows that he will soon be martyred. Peter knows he's going to die for his faith. He even tells us in chapter 1, I know my time is short. I know I'm not going to be in this body much longer. But while I'm in it, I want to teach you and, and warn you and remind you of the right things. So he's writing because his time is short. Peter writes because he wants to remind Christians about real faith, what it really means to believe in Jesus and follow God. And the third thing is to warn that there will be false teachers and false prophets to come. Let's look at 2 Peter chapter 2. Verses 1 through 9. But there were also lying or false prophets among the people then, just as there will be lying religious teachers among you. They'll smuggle in destructive divisions, pitting you against each other, biting the hand of the one who gave them a chance to have their lives back. They put themselves on a fast downhill slide to destruction, but not before they recruit a crowd of mixed-up followers who can't tell right from wrong. They give the way of truth a bad name. They're only out for themselves. They'll say anything, anything that sounds good to exploit you. They won't, of course, get by with it. They'll come to a bad end, for God has never just stood by 
and let that kind of thing go on. God didn't let the rebel angels off the hook, but jailed them in hell till judgment day. Neither did he let the ancient ungodly world off. He wiped it out with a flood, rescuing only eight people. Noah, the sole voice of righteousness, was one of them. God decreed destruction for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. A mound of ashes was all that was left, a grim warning to anyone bent on an ungodly life. But that good man, Lot, driven nearly out of his mind by the sexual filth and perversity, was rescued. Surrounded by moral rot day after day after day, that righteous man was in constant torment. So God knows how to rescue the godly from evil trials. And he knows how to hold the feet of the wicked to the fire until judgment day. I want you to say this last part with me. If we could pull up the first part of verse 9. This isn't the theme of today's message, but I want us to say this together. It's on the next slide, just the first part of of chapter 9. So God knows how to rescue the godly from evil trials. Will you say this with me? So God knows how to rescue the godly from evil trials. Are you going through something in your life right now? Maybe you feel like you're going through a trial. You're in a difficult situation. It could have been something that's just happened recently. It could be a situation that you've been in for years. And God wants you to know that he knows how to rescue the godly from evil trials. He will rescue you. He knows how to do it. The Bible tells us over and over, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Don't feel like you're all alone. God knows how to rescue you. He knows how he'll do it. He knows when he'll do it. He knows what he is teaching you while you're in that trial. There's a purpose to it. God's doing something. So don't be afraid. The next part of that verse is not so exciting to repeat, but it is true that God also knows how to punish the wicked. And as uncomfortable as that is to talk about sometimes, we wouldn't be teaching the truth if we didn't talk about the fact that wickedness will be punished. Peter is very clear about that. The wicked will be punished. This is a good reason for us to remember to pray for our enemies because it doesn't matter how bad anyone has hurt you, how bad of, of a, someone has done to you, how wicked someone has been, has been as God's people, as people who love God, we don't wish his judgment on anyone. We want to pray that they will find Jesus because we, we don't want anyone to face the judgment of God. It's why we go out and tell the lost about Jesus because we love him. And he said, hey, if you love me, go tell people. Tell people what I've done in your life. We want to help rescue people because the punishment that comes will be a horrible thing. So Peter warns of false prophets and false teachers. They were around then. They're around now. They're predators looking for victims. The Bible often refers to them as wolves in sheep's clothing. The reason it says that is because they will come in amongst us, look like us, talk like us, but really they have other intentions, wolves in sheep's clothing. Peter tells us seven things about false teachers and false prophets. These are the seven things we need to know about them based on uh, 2 Peter chapter 2. Number one, they bring division. False teachers and false prophets divide things. They bring division. They teach things that, that divide the church. God loves unity. 
Carrie and I work really hard to have unity in the church. It's very important to God. He loves it. When we read the book of Acts, we see that God's power fell on a united church. If you read in the book of Acts, when the people were gathered together in one place, and the Bible says in one accord, in unity, the power of the Holy Spirit fell on them. Division is a a dangerous thing. It's a scary thing. Division is unhealthy. And false teachers and false prophets try to divide. They try to divide people from their pastor. They try to divide people from the leaders of the church. They try to divide people from their brothers and sisters with with some new way or some new word that, that can lead people away. They try to divide. There's strength in unity, but division makes us weak. Division, whether it's by denomination or organization or race or ethnicity, whatever division there is, it's, it makes us weak. God wants the church to be united, and that's when we are powerful. The second thing they do is they recruit confused followers. The verse said that we read is the message version. It says they recruit a crowd of mixed-up followers who can't tell right from wrong. They take advantage of not only new Christians, but take advantage of Christians who never open up their Bibles, Christians that don't know what the truth is. There's Christians like that that whether they've been a Christian for one year or two years, Christians for 10 years that don't know what the Bible says. And and these false teachers and false prophets can come in and take advantage of that. They really take advantage of people that, that honestly want to hear from God, sincerely seeking God, and someone will come and take advantage. It breaks my heart to see people chasing after the next prophet that comes to Madon, or chasing after the newest gospel that they've heard, or or going after this, or, man, someone's coming to town. I I need to go be there. I want to hear from God. I've got to go over here. I I need a word from God. I I need to hear what God has to say. And all the time, not knowing the truth that's right there in the Bible, not knowing that we can hear from God ourselves. God wants to speak to you. You don't have to go chasing someone down for that. False prophets and false teachers take advantage of people's sincere desire to hear from God, and they recruit followers that can't tell the difference of right from wrong. Different gospels like the prosperity gospel. It's a false gospel. A, A gospel that says that God is interested in what kind of car we drive and how big our house is and what's in our bank account. That's false. Jesus has no concern over those things. Jesus didn't have a big house. Why would he care that we have a big house? You know, it's really hard to attribute that to Jesus. If you are a legend as a father, if you're, if your kids, if you are teaching them the right ways and they honor you and respect you and look to you as an example of a godly man, but your bank account is empty, you are still blessed by God. You're prosperous. You're successful. It has nothing to do with what's in the bank account or what you're driving. Here's the thing. The thing that's true about the prosperity gospel is that God does want you to prosper. He wants you to prosper as a man of God. He wants you to prosper as a woman of God. He wants you to prosper in your relationships. He wants you to prosper in your marriages. He wants you to prosper in your, in your parenting. But he doesn't care about the material things. Hyper grace or this grace that anything goes. Grace is an awesome thing. It is a powerful thing. It's something that God offers us that we don't deserve. 
But anyone that teaches that because of God's grace, we can sin and do whatever we want as God's people, and we're still going to get into heaven, is a false teacher. That's a false prophet. Anyone that tells you, hey, go do whatever you want, you're still going to get to heaven if you've prayed a prayer to Jesus. It's a lie. And it leads people astray that don't know what the Bible says. The Bible talks a whole lot about righteousness and holiness. Anyone that tells you otherwise, hey, you can sin tomorrow, it's already covered. That's false. It, does it cover you in the sense that Jesus already paid for it? Yes. It doesn't cover it that we can do whatever we want. The Bible makes it clear. Paul even said, great, he's talking about the wonder of grace, but he says, should we sin more so that we will have more grace? God forbid. Paul said, God forbid we live like that. These are, these are false things that are not only just out there in the world, not only Peter was warning that it was going on then, it's in Madon right now. It's in Madon right now. So we have to be alert. We have to be aware. We have to know these things. Self-centered gospel that everything is about me. It's all about me, really, and all this is for me. You know, you know, the real song is it's all about you, right? It is all about God. It's not about us. We don't say, God, if you bless me enough, I'll let you be a part of my plan for my life. No, God has a plan, and he allows us to be a part of his plan. The, the world doesn't revolve around us. It's, about, it's all about God. It's about a God who loves his children so much, he did everything to rescue us so that we can be a part of his plan, so that we can have the purpose that he's given us, so that we can, we can know him and we can seek to be closer to him. That's what the gospel is about. It's not about me. As hard as it is to, to understand this sometimes, it, God doesn't care if you're happy. That's tough to hear sometimes. How many of you are happy all the time? If God really cared that we were happy, we'd be happy all the time, right? He loves us. He doesn't care if we're happy all the time. But what he tells us is, if you will walk with me, even in the unhappy times, you can always have joy. You can always have peace because you have hope. We're going to go through unhappy times. A lot of times, God is using that for us. Peter was writing to a church that was suffering and being persecuted. He couldn't have told them, hey, God really wants you to be happy. He just wants you to be happy, that's all. Say a prayer to Jesus and just live your life happy. No, but if you follow God, if you get close to him, you will have joy and peace and hope and love overflowing abundantly. The gospel that there is no hell, that's false. There is a hell. The Bible tells us that. That there are many ways to heaven, that's false. Jesus said, I am the way. There's no other way. And if we don't know the truth, people will come and say, no, you can get to heaven over here. The Bible even talks about someone coming and saying, hey, we found the Messiah here. Hey, we found the Messiah here. You can get there through this man or that man or, or this way. There's only one way to get to heaven, and it's through Jesus. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. For the entire world, there's one way to get to God. So it's so important that we know these things. If we are not alert, if we don't pay attention, if we don't learn the ways of God, the, the true ways of God, we can be tricked. We have to know what is right or wrong. Paul said this in Philippians chapter 1. 
And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Discernment means being able to know what is right and what is wrong. Discernment, knowing what is true and what is false. Paul said, my prayer is that you abound in all knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. We need discernment. Every single person in this room should be praying, God, give me discernment so that when I hear something, I, I recognize if it's from you. God, I want to know your voice. You know, the, the Bible talks about the sheep knowing the shepherd's voice. And it uses that as, as, as an example of the people of God knowing Jesus' voice. When we hear something, we need to recognize, is this from my Savior? The third thing about false prophets, they give truth a bad name. The Bible says if someone prophesies to you or if someone teaches you something, you should test it. You need to test it. I, I tell you every once in a while, I remember to say it, but I hope you remember this. Anything I say up here, you should test it. If this week I'm talking to you about 2 Peter chapter 2, I really encourage you to go home this week, this week read 2 Peter chapter 2. Read it for yourself. God will speak to you. See if what I'm saying is, is the truth. Make sure. Because your walk with God, your Christian life needs to be more than just following what a man tells you. Everything you know about God shouldn't be based on, Pastor Chris said this. I'm going to teach you the truth from God's word, but you need to know it because God said it. Not just because you heard it from me. Test everything. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Or don't treat prophecies as if they're worthless. Because prophecy is real. That is a gift of the spirit. God will speak to us. He will prophesy. Don't treat it as worthless, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. If anyone comes speaking to you saying, thus saith the Lord, you have a right to go and test it. Hey, thanks for that. I'm going to go and pray and, and see what God says to me. Here's three things about testing it. A prophecy or teaching must not contradict what God has previously said. If someone tells you something that is different from the Bible, that's a false prophet and a false teacher. A prophecy must magnify Jesus. So a real, true prophecy will lift Jesus up, number one, because it's from him. And third and very important, a prophet must live a godly life. Matthew 7, 16 says, you will know them by their fruits. If someone comes to you saying they're speaking from God, but you don't see the godly fruit in their life, reject it immediately. Hey, God wants me to tell you this, but you know their life is not godly. Just say thank you and then go away. And let it, the, the saying is let it go in one ear and out the other. You don't even have to pay attention to it. If someone prophesies to you and they are not living a godly life, you don't even have to pray about it later. Because the Bible says, Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. False teachers and false prophets give the truth a bad name. Number four, they seek their own glory. False teachers and false prophets normally don't seek to glorify God. They want attention on themselves. I see something. I, I, I need to tell you something in your life. 
getting glory, wanting everyone to, to, to look at them, not glorifying God, but glorifying themselves. That's, that's a sign of a false teacher or a false prophet. A real teacher, a real prophet will point your eyes to God and give God the glory. False teachers and false prophets like positions and titles. They like to, to be seen as something special. They like to be recognized by men. Number five, they also hate authority. Be very careful around anyone who tells you they are a spiritual teacher or a prophet, but they have no authority over them. My first thought when I hear about a prophet coming to town is, who is their pastor? Who's their authority? God doesn't have rogue prophets roaming around the earth. Jesus established the church, and his ministry is through the church. Prophecy is real. There will be people that can prophesy, but there is an order. God likes order. God likes structure. If a prophet comes to town, I like to ask, who is their pastor? Who's their authority? Who, who are they accountable to? When Carrie and I planted this church, one of the first things I did was contact some pastors that I respect, some pastors that have been ministering for much longer than I have, and I asked them to be overseers of the church. I asked them to be my authority. You know, I said, hey, you guys keep me accountable. Let me check in with you for advice. You watch what we're doing. I contact them constantly. We're talking all the time because I know I need authority. I want authority. It's healthy for me to have authority. And the same goes for every single one of us. It's good to have accountability. There's younger pastors and younger colleagues that I have, even here in Indonesia, that have contacted me and said, Pastor Chris, will you, will you be my authority? Will you be my accountability? And of course, I say yes, because we all need that. I want it for my life, and I want to help others. And it should be that way for all of us. But false teachers and false prophets hate accountability. Number six says their specialty is greed. The verse says their specialty is greed and they are experts at it. They are dead souls. They've left the main road and are directionless. Having taken the way of Balaam, son of Baor, the prophet who turned profiteer, a connoisseur of evil. Balaam was a prophet for profit. I like how that works in English, right? A prophet for profit. Balaam could be paid to curse someone, paid to bless someone. In Revelations, God refers to him and says he hated the way of Balaam. He hates that way. Let me remind you of this. You cannot buy the gifts of God. People will come even here to our city and take advantage of that because we want to be blessed by God. We want to hear from God, but you cannot buy God's blessings. They're not for sale. You cannot buy the favor of God. You cannot buy the power of God. People tried it, and we read about it in the Bible. You cannot buy a word of prophecy from God because real prophecy is not for sale. Hey, give me a word for my life, and then tip me afterwards. If I didn't like that one, tell me something else, or it's going to cost this much. You can't buy those things. You can't buy a word for your life. You can't buy God's purpose for your life or, or God's power as his gifts. You can't buy blessings. You can't buy favor. The things of God are precious and holy, and they will not be made dirty by the transactions of men. That's something very important for us to think about because it goes on in this city. 
God's, God's blessings, the, the things of God are so holy, he will not allow them to be made dirty by our transactions. They won't be things that can be purchased with money. But God has blessings for us, and he wants to give us his favor. He does have words for us, and he gives them freely as he desires to. And the church has to know these things so we aren't led astray. The honest fact is this. Anyone in this room who loves God and is following Jesus could prophesy to you. Think about that for a moment. Look around this room. If God wanted to, it's his power. He could speak to you through anyone in here. Think of the New Testament and the, the disciples and the apostles that followed Jesus. There wasn't one of them, okay, this is the prophecy guy. This is the healing guy. God did it all through all of them whenever he wanted to do it. He could heal through any one of you guys. Jesus made those gifts available to all of us. You don't have to go chase a prophet down. You don't have to go and chase a healer down. Go to anyone in this room and they can pray healing over you because it's God's power. It doesn't belong to a man. It's his power. Carrie prophesied to someone this last week, and she's not going to come up here and demand that we all call her the prophetess, as cool as that sounds. She prophesied. The, the lady was like, man, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And that was the end of it. Carrie knew that's God's power used in his timing. She went on with her life. She didn't seek any glory from it. The lady didn't have to give her a tip afterwards. Oh, that really connected with you? How about something in the dompet? Yeah? It's not like that. It's not for sale. Number seven, the scariest thing for false teachers and false prophets is that they will come to a bad end. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 17 says, There's nothing to these people. They are dried up fountains, meaning there's no life coming from them. Storm-scattered clouds headed for a black hole in hell. What sounds scarier than a black hole in hell? Nobody wants to go there, right? Anybody? Nobody. That's, that's horrible. This is something, we, we don't hope for anyone to go there. This is a reminder, too, that we need to be praying for people because there are some people that are confused and they are speaking false things and maybe some of them don't even realize it. And we should say, God, have mercy on them. God, open their eyes. God, save them. Lead them to repentance so they quit trying to profit from your gifts and your power because we don't want people to have to face the black hole in hell. That's a horrible place. But the godly will not experience that. How many of you are happy to be among the godly? For the godly, we won't experience that. This is for the wicked. The wicked will be punished, but the godly are going to go to this paradise that God has promised. We're going to be welcomed in. Jesus will be there. If we've lived the way we're supposed to be living, he's going to say, welcome, my good and faithful servant. Well done. You did it right. So quickly, how do we avoid being victims? Peter talks a lot about things about false teachers and false prophets. But how do we avoid being victims? Colossians chapter 2 says, I want you to know, this is Paul writing, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you, fighting for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden 
all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. My goal each week in here for each one of you is what Paul is saying here. My goal is that you will be encouraged and united so that you will have complete understanding, that you will have wisdom, that you will have knowledge, that you will not be taken captive. I try to teach you the truth from God's word so we will know it, so no one can come and teach something else and us be taken captive. How do we avoid being a victim? You need to have these things. This is all found in Colossians chapter 2. Number one, a real walk with Jesus. If you don't want to be taken captive, you need to have a real walk with Jesus. The verse says, live your lives in him. Live like Jesus. Walk with him every single day. If you are seeking to live a holy life and to live like Jesus, it's not very likely someone's going to come along and take you captive with a false teaching because every day you are walking with him. Number two, have real growth in Jesus. We sang earlier about going deeper, about being immersed. We have to have more than just a surface level relationship with Jesus. More than just the right? Hi, Jesus, I'm Chris. Hi, Chris, I'm Jesus. Some Christians, that's as far as they go. But the deeper we go, the more we know God, the, the stronger our faith is, the safer we are. The deeper the roots, the stronger the tree. If you have this, this depth that says rooted in Jesus, then anything can come along and you're not going to be moved. Hey, come over here. Someone's teaching a new thing. Now, I know the truth. Hey, God's saying this. Now, I know God. He wouldn't say that. Here's the Messiah. There's the Messiah. Follow this. Follow that. We're not moved. We're deep. We're rooted. We know the truth. Reading your Bible, going to life group, those things help with that growth. Number three, have a real foundation on Jesus. Letting everything you build in your life be built on Jesus as the foundation. The verse says being built in him. You know, we should build everything on Jesus our marriages, our, our relationships, our, our parenting, your business, your finances, your use of your time, everything should be built on the foundation of Jesus because then you are building on truth. Your feet will be steady. You can't be swayed. You can't be moved around by different things that come along. Number four, having a real faith in Jesus. It says strengthened in the faith as you were taught being taught the right things and living the right things, strengthened in faith. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We need to read the word of God, hear the word of God, and know the word of God. 
We need to know it so, so we know the truth. When something false comes along, we're not led astray. And number five, the last one, can I ask someone from the worship team to come up? Number five is we need to have real thankfulness to Jesus. This is all what Paul's saying in Colossians, this overflowing thankfulness, real thankfulness. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Thankfulness reminds us that Jesus is near. We're not left alone. He's not far away. Thanking Jesus and praising him reminds ourselves that our God is close by. He's near. He cares. It reminds us that there is purpose in our circumstances. When we can thank Jesus and praise him, no matter what our circumstance is, it strengthens us. It helps us to stand. It strengthens us when we have been made weak by our circumstances. We're reminded that there's a purpose in it. We're strengthened when we're weak. When we are thankful to God, it's hard to be taken captive because we're drawing in closer. We're getting near to him. I believe that every single one of you, the reason you're here is because you want to hear from God. I believe that's why Peter was warning the church because we are a people that want so badly to hear from God. And Peter knew then and we know now that there are people that will take advantage of that if we are not alert, if we don't know the truth. It makes me so sad to see people that are sincerely seeking God being led astray by something false. It breaks my heart. It's why I was so excited to teach this today. This isn't some exciting message. There's not a lot of hallelujahs today, but it's truth. And Peter shared it because he loved the church. And I'm sharing it with you because I love you and I want you to know the truth. I want you to be able to stand. I don't want you to be taken captive. I want you to know what this Christian life is about. We want to hear from God so badly. If you want to hear from him, talk to him each day. Talk to God every single day. When you wake up in the morning, your father is listening, ready to hear from you. All throughout the day, God is there listening, ready to talk to you. Before you go to bed at night, he's there. He'll listen to you. I mean, imagine if we go a day and don't pay him any attention. What a shame that we've missed a day to talk to God. That we've missed it, that we lay past and we didn't talk to our creator. What a shame. We could do that all day. If, if you come to Cambridge Mall during the week and you see me going on the escalator, going up to get a coffee, and my lips are moving, I'm not crazy. I promise you. Maybe I'm a little bit crazy. But if you see me, I'm just walking through the mall and my lips are moving. I'm talking to God. You don't have to just have a place where, oh, I couldn't pray today because there was nowhere to kneel. I couldn't have anywhere to close my eyes and put my hands together. You can talk to him all throughout your day. You have to drive to 30-minute drive to work, talk to God. Walking through the mall to get a coffee, talk to God. If I'm alone, I'm talking to him because I don't want a day to pass. I don't want to miss an opportunity because I know it is better for me the closer I am with God. He created me. He knows me. He is the truth. The other thing is this. If you want to hear from God, Read his word. Read the Bible. So often we're like, man, I need a word from God. Oh, there's a prophet coming to town. I need to go because I need a word from God. Have you read your Bible? No. 
I need someone else to give me a word. We, we have the Bible. We have a book full of words from God, and we act like we can't hear from him. I need some man to tell me God's words. No, you don't. Open up your Bible, and God will speak to you every single time because it's his words. It's his words. Pastor Kyle preached last week about the potential of the Bible. He illustrated it with a sword, the, the potential power there, but if we don't pick it up in our hands, it's useless to us. There's been Christians forever that have Bibles in their homes, but they don't know what they say, so they're easily led astray. Shiny Bibles collecting dust on the bookshelf. Hey, look at my Bible. I have four different translations. What does it say? I don't know. We have to know. We need to know. It's important for us. The third thing is gather with other Christians. How do you avoid being taken captive by false teachings? Gather with your brothers and sisters. That's what Life Group is about. We have 14 Life Groups starting up this week. The signups are online. You can sign up at the, the cafe. Find someone to help you sign up so you can gather with some people that are seeking the truth. We don't meet because we all have the answers, but we meet to find the answers together. Ask people that come to the Alpha Course. We sit in circles in here and talk about the things of God. There may be different ideas, but we talk about it, we read the scripture, and we seek truth together. That's where we have strength. Divided, we are weak, but united, we are strong. United, we are the church.